Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining Cybersecurity Career Talks. I have three excellent recruiters who hire, uh, who, who hire talent only for cybersecurity careers. One of them even is a brand name and well-known uh, in the industry as the Cybersecurity Whisperer. I have got with me Shobha Ayer, Rob Kutito, and Rosalind Ulio. And uh, before we start, I am going to read a disclaimer. The views expressed in this presentation and during the session are the personal opinions of the participants and do not reflect the official policy or position of their respective employers. This discussion is a volunteer-led effort to contribute to the profession and pay forward the many kindnesses and instances of support and guidance and the, that the participants have received during the course of their career. And the first, uh, I'm going to first introduce Robert. Rob, uh, Rob, Rob, Rob is uh, known widely in the industry as the cybersecurity whisperer. He is been in this uh, profession for over 10 years. Uh, he started his career recruiting football talent, but has primarily worked within technical recruitment with a specialty in cybersecurity and the cleared space. He has worked for both large and boutique staffing agencies professional services and in-house corporate recru recruitment settings, having supported Fortune 500 companies in the financial, pharmaceutical, and retail industries. Currently, Rob is a senior manager leading Verizon's internal cybersecurity recruitment efforts and is a member of several college academic advisory boards. He holds a bachelor's degree in marketing from Keene University and is a MBA student with concentration in information systems management. Our second guest is Rosalind Ulio. Uh, she is a senior recruiter within a human, with a human resources marketing and legal background, specializing in cybersecurity recruiting. She's currently a board member of the ISC Squared Northern Virginia chapter as their director of outreach. Her experience spans from recruiting in the private sector, as well as recruiting in the government contracting realm. She has a privilege to recruit in the cleared space up to a Yankee white clearance level for the White House. She holds her professional recruiter certification and also holds a bachelor's degree in global business minor in pre-law and a French law degree, D-E-U-G, Dudroit. And we have Shobha Ayer. She is a senior talent acquisition specialist with 10 years of experience in corporate and executive search firms, recruiting for niche technology and cybersecurity positions. She is a full life cycle recruiter with experience in channelizing social media and digital platforms to find hard to find fill talent for hard to fill positions for Fortune 500 companies. She is currently a senior talent acquisition specialist for Verizon, supporting internal cybersecurity recruiting. She has an MBA in HR and a PHR certification from HRCI. And I'm your 
and and I'm your host, your coach, your teacher uh, on this journey, exploring different cybersecurity careers until you find your dream job. So today we are going to talk about recruiters, different types of recruiters, about resumes, about your search and your application, um, advice to job seekers, interviewing and salary negotiations and clearances, which are required for certain private and public uh, roles. So we start with uh, Robert. Can you talk, tell us a little bit about uh, the types of recruiters? Yeah, thanks. Well, first of all, thanks for uh, having me on. I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, so there's different kinds of recruiters and a lot of people kind of lump them all together. Uh, so it, whether you're working for a small company, a midsize or like a large enterprise, there will be differences in how you interact with those types of recruiters. Um, there are recruiters that work for staffing firms or agencies. There's some that work for professional services and you have some that work for uh, internally at corporate organizations. Um, and the three of those also make a difference. Uh, on top of all that, then you have recruiters that specialize. Um, so you can have a generalist recruiter that can recruit on anything. Then you have technical recruiter, which is a little bit more specialized and they focus everything on the IT industry. Uh, and then you have specialized recruiters, which is um, myself, Shoba and Rosalind actually are. And we specialize in cybersecurity specifically in the technical space. Um, so it's important to kind of know that and who you're talking to because you're gonna get a different experience from each one of them. And each one of them is gonna be looking for a different thing because their, their companies are different um, and they're looking for it at a different, from a different perspective. Um, if you're at an agency, you're talking to an agency recruiter, they're trying to work with you to get you in with their clients, um, such as it could be a mid or large size company and their, their perspective is gonna be a little bit different. And if you're in-house, you're working on the jobs that they have for their company. And that's a different approach as well. Thank you. And um, Shobha and Rosalind, uh, when should you hire a recruiter and uh, what, 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 what should be your expectations from those? Hi everybody. Uh, thank you for having um, us over here. It's a, it's, it's a great opportunity to be able to share um, some tips on recruitment, specifically within cybersecurity space. So what to expect from recruiters, right? I mean, um, lots of questions. That's number one. Uh, be prepared to answer a lot of questions from recruiters, why you are looking and uh, what kind of uh, um, salary expectations do you have? Are you open to relocation? Um, what's your dream job look like? Um, do you have other offers that you're currently working on? You know, things of that nature. So be prepared to answer a lot of questions from recruiters. Be honest and uh, extremely transparent with your communication is uh, number one tip that I would suggest to job seekers. Um, and also expect a fairly lengthy process, I would say, um, because it, it depends on, on the type of uh, position you're trying to uh, interview for. Uh, it could start out with a, a, a you know, very casual phone interview first with a recruiter, and then it may go, it may lead to an assessment, depending on how the phone interview went, it may lead to an assessment like an, an online test or uh, a, a more detailed uh, whiteboarding kind of an exercise. It, uh, the third tier could be an in-person, uh, um, on-site interview. So it could have multiple tiers, the recruitment process itself. Um, and um, 
also just remember that, you know, recruiters are also humans. We, we do not want to give out necessarily bad news to you. Uh, we are your cheerleaders. We are your agents. We are your advocates. Um, sometimes recruiters, you know, are at the mercy of hiring managers also. So we want to cheer for you. We want you to get the job, but it, uh, we are at the mercy of what the hiring managers uh, ultimately decide. So um, just keep that in mind that um, recruiters have constraints as well. So just be a little bit uh, flexible and patient in your approach with um, dealing with recruiters. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. Also, and to kinda... yeah, yeah, go ahead, Rob. Just to kind of add to that too, is understanding what a recruiter load workload looks like. Um, a typical recruiter could have anywhere from 20 all the way up to 40, 50 recs um, or jobs that they are recruiting on and figure each one of those jobs are gonna have multiple candidates uh, mm -hmm. that they're speaking with. So at any given time, uh, let's just say there's 40 jobs that they have and there's three candidates for each of them. That's 120 candidates that they're actively communicating with. So don't ever take it personally if a recruiter is not getting back to you fast enough. Feel free to always like reach out to them um, if you have a question about where you stand in the process. But don't get too worried if you're not hearing back. There's a lot of communication that they're having with a lot of different people for a lot of different jobs. So just have that level of understanding. True. Thanks. And Rosalind? Just to add on a little bit on that. Um, I don't know if you can hear me. Yeah, we can hear um, you, yep. yes, yes. Very good. In terms of hiring a recruiter, I think in cybersecurity, the problem is actually the opposite. A lot of recruiters are reaching out to cybersecurity folks, but if you do have a hard time finding uh, a new position, I think there are a lot of avenues before hiring a recruiter. I have personally helped in resume editing or interview coaching, and I've done that pretty much for free. So I think it's a matter of reaching out to the right recruiter, getting to know them and asking for help too. But obviously the option to hire a recruiter is up to you if it's within your budget, but I think that the cybersecurity world is very close and we're all here to help each other that you can find someone who can help you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And the next question is resumes, right? So should I pay somebody to prepare my mm -hmm. resume because it is a thriving industry right now? And uh, what is the preferred resume format or what should I have in my resume and what should I not have it? And are like, um, uh, cybersecurity resumes different from other resumes. So if you can uh, start off and, and Rob, if you can start with this. Sure, yeah. So someone to help you prepare your resume could be a great thing. Um, my suggestion, it depends on where you are in your career. Um, perhaps if you've been applying and interviewing and you're not having much luck and you wanna change things up, that might be a great opportunity to try to have somebody pay someone to look into, maybe there's something on the resume that you're leaving out or maybe you're oversharing in the resume and then give you great insights uh, about that. Um, also, if you're new in your career and you've never gone through any type of resume coaching, and you're just not sure where to start, that could be another opportunity to possibly hire somebody. Um, I will tell you, especially in this space, uh, in the cybersecurity space, 
most of the recruiters that uh, I have connected with usually are fairly open uh, when you talk to them about giving you their insight about, you know, how to tweak your resume, um, how to help you coach you on, you know, where to apply, et cetera. Um, so you can get a lot of that information for free. Plus there's a ton of resources out there um, that you can kind of rely on to kind of build your, your resume. And, and for me, you always want to keep your resume simple, but you need to have the proper amount of content in there. Uh, it's very easy that, um, you know, you don't give enough. And then all of a sudden someone's looking for the right keywords or whatnot, and it's not in your resume and you can get passed up and then vice versa, you overshare and then you can turn somebody off. So it's, it's a delicate balance. Sure. Thanks. And Shobha, what are your views about resumes? What to have in the resume? What not to have? Now, like my question is, uh, I have, um, say, some uh, certifications that have uh, expired. Should I just say expired, keep them on so you know that background, not have them on at all? Or uh, what, what would you prefer? Or, or just give, give me some pointers. Sure, that's a great question. Building your resume, right? Resume is one of the most important documents a job seeker can have um, to highlight their experience. So it's very important to have a well-written resume. Um, just to go back a little bit to what Robert indicated about um, using professional resume writers, I'm all for it. Um, you know, definitely there's research that proves that uh, somebody who has a resume written uh, professionally um, has four times uh, more success in landing interviews. That's the research that's just come out. So, um, so definitely go for that. As far as what you should have on your resume, keep it simple. Um, don't use fancy graphics or you know big size fonts or things of that nature. Just keep it simple. As far as certifications go, just to answer your question uh, first, um, if you have certifications um, that are active, definitely put that on your resume. But um, sometimes what happens is, you know, recruiters go by keywords, right? Optimization of keywords. Uh, if they're looking for a cert uh, particular uh, certification of keyword, and if, if you have that on your resume, that's probably going to get you attract, you know, traction from or retention from the recruiter. If you have that certification, but it's expired, you know, you can always put that notation down on your resume that it's expired with the parentheses um, to the side that you had it and now it's expired. So um, I would suggest that you do put it in there because just because it might just lead um, uh, to getting more attention to your resume. So uh, I hope that answers your question Lennifer, about certifications that have expired. Thank you, thank you so much. And uh, that brings me to like, I have like, I started this, uh, interacting with people when I co-founded the New Jersey chapter in 2012. And I have met different resume uh, people write uh, this thing uh, professionally. And I've talked to their customers who are like cybersecurity professionals. And they come up with all kinds of like uh, crazy ideas saying, oh, it's like keyword stuffing. Oh yeah, put everything so you can overcome this uh, uh, ATS or whatever, uh, the tracking system and all that. And what, what is your uh, feedback for those resume writers also and uh, people who are like trying to engage them? I think that for, that advice is good. However, lengthy resumes, I believe never help anyone. Uh, when we see eight, nine, 10 pages long, I guarantee you, we do not read it all and the hiring managers do not have the time to read it all. So my advice would be to 
keep your resume definitely as in-depth as possible, but related to the job description. So take a look at the job description, cater it to what you see, and keep it to maybe two to three pages. Uh, make it relevant. That would be my biggest advice. The first few bullet points should be the most important bullet points because we always read those. Um, that would be my advice. So yes, put as much as possible, but cater it to the job description and making sure that it's 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 proofread, the formatting looks great. I think that's even more important than putting every single thing that you've done in the past. Sure, sure. I think, and, I think uh, it's also important to know about the things that you should have in there, which are possibly some type of introduction or an objective. Um, you should list your education, your training, certifications. You should have an experience section that breaks down your experience. You're going to want a bullet as much as you can, so you keep it nice and clean and it's easier to read. Don't go on long paragraphs. Um, other things you can put in there, you can put a skill summary uh, in there where you kind of just kind of blow it out or list um, maybe some tools or software um, or anything like that that you've worked on or special skills that you have that you may not want to put in the experience section, but you might want to just in a list format, put it in there. And that will help you with the keywords without going too long. Uh, I think it's important to use uh, simple fonts like Times New Roman or Arial, um, those types of fonts. Uh, you don't want to go too, too large. So somewhere between you know, font size 10 and 12, depending on what you're conveying. Um, don't get too fancy because once you submit your resume into an applicant tracking system um, at a company and, and it pulls in, it, they parse the resume. Um, and the more complicated your resume is, the harder it is. And then the recruiters on the other end can't see it all. Um, sometimes it won't even get uh, uploaded. Um, and you don't want to be kind of missed out. You don't want to miss out on that opportunity just because your resume didn't load properly. Um, so keep it clean like that. Uh, and then resume length. I get this question all the time. Uh, how long should it be? Should I only keep it to one page? And that's uh, every recruiter is going to have their own opinion about this. My opinion on it specifically is if you've got one, two, maybe three years experience, it should be on the shorter side. If you've got 20 years experience, I don't expect you to keep that to one page. Um, if you got 20 years experience, that it's very fair to have a three page, maybe four page resume. Um, but you shouldn't be two, three years in with four pages. Um, so kind of know your audience and how much they're going to tolerate, you know, reading through. And I can tell you as a recruiter or even a hiring manager, we're going to look at your last few experiences. Not too many are going to go all the way in depth through each single thing. So if you have 20 years experience and your job in 1995, you don't need to list out all the, you know, the responsibilities. Maybe just list out who the employer was and the time length that you were there and what your title was. Um, keep it simple that way. Great advice. Uh... Like we talked about resumes, but what about cover letters? Do you, do you require cover letters or uh, cover letters could be like an email also, right? So what about that? Like, is it required, nice to have, not important at all? And I want all three of you to answer this. I, I would start off. Um, in my opinion, cover letters, you know, it's a very highly debatable um, topic, right? People kind of, uh, want to 
uh, send in a cover letter, but are they actually being read by recruiters and hiring managers? Um, and the answer to that question is, you know, what is it that you're writing in your cover letter? I mean, is there anything additional that you're stating in your cover letter that I cannot gauge as a recruiter from your resume? Uh, if yes, then go for it. You know, exp explain what it is that you want to add that you people cannot see or read off of your resume. For example, uh, if a position is say located in um, California and you live in New York and that's your address that shows um, on your resume, definitely send in a small little note attached to the resume saying, although you are located in New York, you're looking to relocate uh, for whatever reasons. And if you need any assistance with relocation or not, that's something very important and useful. And, and me as a recruiter, I personally want my candidates to give me that information. I cannot gauge from a resume. Uh, I might just delete the resume if I if I look at the, the New York location and say, okay, so this is not going to be a feasible candidate because uh, it's, it's a coast-to-coast -coast relocation, you know. So just to you know prevent those assumptions, definitely put in, uh, write in a small little note, um, add details that you may possibly not be able to cover in your resume. Okay, great advice, thanks. Um, and uh, Rosalind, what are your, what do you think about the cover letter? I, I know that a lot of candidates do some copy pasting in their cover letter, which I understand, especially if someone is active in the market. I do still appreciate them and I do take the time to read them if someone sends it uh, alongside with a resume, so I do, I do appreciate it. And I think it adds a little background to the resume and, and, and yes, I read them. Thanks. And Rob, what about you? So I, I, I thought Shoba was, you know, spot on basically with what she said. Um, if there's something else to add to the, you know, added value that you couldn't convey in your resume, that's important. Um, I can tell you for myself, I am not someone that usually reads cover letters. Um, however, when I'm speaking to a candidate and they point out their cover letter, that there's more information in there that I might want to share or I might want to understand, um, then I will go ahead and, and look at that. Um, if you just send me a cover letter, I'm probably going to skim over that. I'm going to look through the resume first. If you match, maybe then I'll micro into the cover letter. Um, so it really depends on, on the situation. But uh, if you're ever talking to a recruiter and you sent in a cover letter, feel free to point it out and, you know, what, what information they get in there. I know a lot of people will put in like publications or speaking events and stuff like that, that maybe they didn't put in their resume. And that's really good information that I can use to help communicate to the hiring manager at the end. Sure, sure. And uh, I'm asking the cybersecurity whisperer now, uh, what about uh, video and uh, people like create videos and send links, et cetera. Does that help communicate their personality, their quirks, their something that they bring to the, and uh, is it like a plus or uh, really not required? Uh, definitely not required, but uh, it's definitely a big plus in my opinion. Um, I think it shows passion uh, for what you do. So when I can see that you're doing things related to your career, that's always gonna you know, help push you over the limit. Um, you know, and I think as, candidates, we often go, well, I, I met the qualifications of the job, I should get the job. We have to understand you're also competing for the job with other people. So 
if that person is, um, let's say you're clone, if that clones you and you both had the same experience, but that person puts something on the resume like, oh yeah, uh, I do speaking events and the other person did not, who do you think will make it a little bit further just because that person had a little bit extra? Um, so yeah, I, I, I definitely welcome it. You can put that on your resume. You might want to just put an, uh, an area for like speaking engagements or um, achievements or publication, whatever it is. Some people have patents, whatever it is, you can put a little section on there. You don't want to make it too lengthy. You don't want to overwhelm the recruiter with too much information, but list it there. We'll, we'll, we'll see it. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, uh, Shobha and Rosalind, do you guys have any kind of preference? I agree no, with I agree. Rob. Oh. Oh. Go ahead, Rosalind. Go ahead. I, I agree with Rob 100%. I don't think it's required, uh, but we always do appreciate the extra step on taking those um, videos or publications, any public speaking engagement. I think it helps differentiate you from all the other candidates that are seeking for employment out there. So I, I certainly appreciate them and highlight it when I talk to my hiring managers about, about the candidates. Sure, sure. Uh, Shobha, you were adding something. No, I, I completely agree with both Rosalind and Rob. Um, it definitely helps. Um, it's not required. Um, and it also, I feel, in my opinion, it depends on the, on the type of role also that you're applying towards. If it's a senior level position that involves a lot of, uh, um, you know, influencing your know, US, uh, presenting to C-level, the leadership, um, and you want your um, communication skills to come out, um, then definitely, you know, publications and speaking events um, and articles that you're published uh, definitely help. Um, so in my opinion, uh, it's not a required um, uh, thing to have on your resume or your cover letter, but definitely helps uh, a long way, yeah. Sure, thanks. I'll just take a look at uh, what questions you received from people so far. Um, and uh, are there any pointers to cybersecurity regime? How does it screen for cybersecurity talent? We talked about that. And uh, Santosh asked what key bits should someone have in their resume who are not experienced in the cybersecurity, but are trying to make a career move, lots of experience otherwise. So his question is that I have a lot of relevant transferable skills, and uh, but not necessarily in a cybersecurity position and I'm trying to transition into a career in cybersecurity. So how do I uh, make sure that I've added all that on my resume so that you get an idea of uh, my skills and my ability to uh, perform the job? I find that to be a very difficult task for a candidate to do, to express how their um, past experience that was not in, in, in the industry, how did that can translate over? Um, doing it on a resume sometimes is putting the things that are most similar to the work you'll do in cybersecurity, putting that closer to the top. Um, in terms, you can sometimes reword some things so it comes across a little bit more like, oh, that, okay, that's transferable. Um, that's a really difficult one to do on a resume, though. Um, at that point, you're going to have to probably either A, have a good relationship with uh, recruiters or somebody in the business or, or the company that you want to. Um, get involved with, or if you get onto initial call with a recruiter is to express that um, over the call um, on that initial call with them. 
to let them know like, oh, this is what I've done. And that's how it translates it translates to X, Y, Z. Um, it is, but again, it's really hard to do it on a resume. Sure, sure. Um, anybody that's why partnering else? with a good recruiter is, is important. Oh, okay, yeah, makes sense. Not, not, yeah, definitely reaching out to them. And, um, I agree and with Rob about that because I, I've specifically helped candidates cater their resume to a position with things that they, could, they didn't think about, such as networking events or if they had an internship or if they had a speaking engagement. So those are the things that sometimes candidate forget to add on a resume, but it adds so much value to it. I was able to help a candidate get a position because we were talking about internships or specific training or things that they've done in, in their free time that we can add on to their resume and add value to the resume. So they might not have been, uh, let's say an ISSO for the past five years, but they've had trainings and they've, they, they know about NASA scans or specific tools that are cybersecurity related or ISSO related that we can add in the resume that they didn't think of. So I think that that's the perfect time to reach out to a recruiter or professionals to, to help you build that resume. Sure. And uh, what about uh, what about like uh, maybe you know do not have in a paid job, right? But you maybe contributed in a project which was related to cybersecurity, or you uh, did something uh, where uh, you volunteered for something. Does would you put that in, and uh, will that help? Anything helps at that point. If someone is trying to get a, their foot in the door in cybersecurity anything that is cybersecure related can help and can make the difference because if it's not on the resume, there's no way for us to, to know that you've done it. There's something I wanna to add too is to give a little more context to this. Um, if you're transitioning uh, and or an entry level is understanding what the market is. Um, I get this a lot from candidates is that, oh, I hear that the, you know, cybersecurity, everybody's desperate for candidates. There's not enough uh, candidates and there's more jobs than people, et cetera. And that is all true. Um, and depending on the company or the position that's open or the hiring manager, a lot of them are usually looking for some form of experience. Um, for an entry-level role, we likely get hundreds, if not thousands of applications for those roles. So it comes down to how competitive you are against them. So when we're looking at an entry-level resume, I'm looking at what, what things have you done to show us interest that you wanna be in this field beyond someone that just saying, hey, I wanna, I wanna come in, let me in. Um, so internships, uh, trainings, uh, education. Um, if, you, if all your experiences out of, uh, out of college, put down the projects that you worked on. Maybe you uh, worked on some penetration testing project, put that on there. Uh, maybe you were in a lab. Um, at the end of the day, I should see something. Um, the worst, I mean, the, the best thing you could do if you've got nothing is have you built a home lab at least? Have you downloaded some trials of like Splunk and played around with the tool that you can put that on there? Like, oh, I created this little project um, by downloading the free version and I tried it out and here's what I did. Show me something. Sure. Um, now there's a question we spoke about uh cybersecurity resumes. We talk, uh, spoke about the cover letter. 
uh, about uh, communicating through video. But uh, what about LinkedIn profiles? And uh, should people pay money for those uh, to get them tweaked uh, professionally? And does that help? LinkedIn profiles, you know, extremely important uh, in today's world. Everybody has uh, needs to have a LinkedIn account, whether or not you're an active or a passive um, job seeker. Whether you should be paying to have your LinkedIn profile tweaked, again, it depends on you, what kind of, uh, um, you know, profile you want to see yourself have on uh, the digital media. It's something similar to, you know, whether you would pay a professional resume writer, right? Uh, it depends on uh, a lot of different factors. But um, having one, having a LinkedIn account is definitely the first step for any job seeker, uh, whether they're active or passive. Um, not just having a LinkedIn account, but to be uh, active on it. When I say active, I mean having connections. Um, just making your presence felt on LinkedIn is extremely important too. You know, just uh, uh, publishing some blogs, you know, um, linking uh, to articles that you've read that are interesting, relevant to, you know, to the field that you're in. Um, and then um, writing recommendations is sometimes very useful because uh, um, people might just return your favor and, you know, write recommendations back on your profile. That um, is definitely a good sign for recruiters. You know, I definitely look for uh, recommendations when I look at a, a profile. So um, whether or not you're able to achieve all of this on your own is something you need to answer uh, before you want to make that decision of uh, wanting to pay for a professional LinkedIn uh, profile writer uh, because it can be expensive. Sure. True. Uh, there's a question from Rina, and she says that uh, if someone has net network architecture experience, uh, would that not translate to apply towards uh, a cybersecurity architect role? I don't want to answer it, but um, I, I, I want uh, uh, Rosalind to go first on that. That's, that's a tough one, because if you just give me one line, um, it's a little bit tough for me to say yes or no, I think this is the perfect example for me to, to say, let's chat, let's put a time on our calendar and let's build that resume together. And then also let's talk about what type of positions you're targeting in cybersecurity, because there's a lot of different positions and perhaps one position is gonna be better for you because that skill set is gonna transfer a little bit more easily, if you will, um, to get, again, the foot in the door. So I, I would take the time in talking with that candidate and making sure that I understand what they're looking for and what kind of skills they have that are transferable skills to a specific uh, position in cybersecurity. Sure, thanks. Uh, Rob, do you want to add anything to that? Yes, definitely. Um, so it, it always depends, and it depends on the type of recruiter you're working with. Um, if you're working with a recruiter at a, like a consulting firm, an agency staffing firm, uh, professional services, what they're going to be looking for, they're looking for more of a closer match of what the job requirements are to what the candidate's experience is. At a corporate, it really, uh, in-house recruiting, it's a little bit different um, because it's very common that a hiring manager can give us all these requirements and that's basically a unicorn. And I'll give you a perfect example. Um, having like a 5G security architect, network security architect role, 
um, that's very challenging because how many people have actually worked on 5G, even in a networking aspect, uh, and then also been in security and then put them together? Doesn't, there's not many of those kinds of professionals out there. So in times like that, having, you know, a, a, you know, a network architecture background um, could work out really well. And I would probably welcome talking to you. Shoba can probably speak more to that. She's dealt with a lot of those types of, uh, those types of jobs and types of candidates. anything um, yeah absolutely um, I would love to talk uh, with this person uh, if you have a network um, architecture background um, definitely lays a strong foundation um, security architecture um, you know needs that networking background depending on whether it's infrastructure or application it depends on the role that you're targeting so yes absolutely feel free to message me on LinkedIn and I would be have, happy to chat with you further on this sure sure, sure. it's important to understand when a company goes and uses an agency or a staffing firm to go find talent, that's a paid service. The company is paying that agency to find somebody. If they're going to pay for it, they're going to want more of that closer match. So that's why there's going to be a little bit difference versus in-house versus an external search on that. Sure. And, and besides, uh, if I'm paying somebody and uh, he sends me like a dump of 50 people, then I'm not very happy because I want those 10 people and I can pick any one of them and they will have like at least met X, Y, Z, right? Rob? Yeah. Uh, okay, that brings us to our next, uh, the search and my job application. So how do I go about searching for a job? How do I know if I qualify for this job? Should I apply to more than one job? Uh, job board versus directly applying or through LinkedIn? And uh, Rob, I would like you to start. Sure. So this all depends on where you are in your career. Um, if you're somebody that's experienced and you're going to be staying within the same realm of the same type of job, chances are recruiters are probably going to be coming after you. Um, if you're either new or you're trying to change up your kind of your career path, maybe you were already in security, but now you want to kind of go in a different uh, vertical file, a different career pathway. Um, then you might need to be a little bit more proactive, maybe go search the job boards, maybe go on LinkedIn um, and or scan through the target companies you want to work for. Like, I know this person, they work at this company. That's what I want to do. Um, so maybe that's the company you want to target and companies similar to them. Um, if you're just starting out, you're going to have to, you know, you're probably going to have to put your resume in a lot of different places, you know, apply, go on Indeed, go on different job boards, go on LinkedIn client company websites, um, sometimes a lot of organizations and, and uh, uh, conference websites have job boards, post there, post your resume there. Um, so it really depends on where you are in your career and, and what you're trying to do with your career and how similar it is. Um, yeah. Sure, thanks. And uh, Shoba. Yeah, you know, completely agree with what Rob's um, said. Uh, you know, it depends on also whether you're an active job seeker or a passive job seeker, right? Active job seeker, you can definitely go look at job boards and see what's out there and apply to those positions. And 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 passive job seekers definitely have number one, build your resume, have a resume ready, get your LinkedIn profile up and running, have connections on it, and you know, know what you're looking for. Research um, jobs that are out there. Uh, skills that are high in demand 
what is it that um, the most sought after demand or skill set or qualification that's in uh, in demand these days? You definitely have have knowledge of that, so you could basically upskill yourself or uh, get some trainings or certifications in those uh, areas. Uh, keep all of that ready um, uh, and. Uh, uh, you know, find a recruiter uh, or find a mentor that's, uh, you know, that could be your colleague, your supervisor. Uh, it could be somebody from your family you could reach out to for questions related to your job search. Find somebody that you can look up to and who would be able to give you honest feedback. Um, that's uh, something that I feel is very, very useful if you're starting out. Uh, even if you have a lot of uh, experience, uh, having a mentor is definitely going to be useful. Uh, and be interview ready, you know, in case you never know, you, you apply to a particular job and get an interview call, uh, you know, be ready for that. Uh, be prepared to answer questions. Um, and also, if you are, you know, extensively job hunting, I feel you should always uh, take the time to uh, you know, look back and see, is, is it working? Is my resume getting a lot of traction? Am I getting uh, calls from recruiters? Uh, what is it that I'm missing that I need to do? And just uh, edit your resume or edit your search and uh, follow through after that. So I think these are some of the tips that uh, you would definitely find useful. I also want to add, make sure you, uh, if you're on a company's website and you see multiple jobs you're interested in, apply to multiple roles. Don't just apply to one. Um, a lot of databases don't share that your your application across all the jobs so apply to as many as you can when you're on an in-house uh, at a corporate company's um, uh, website and you're applying directly for them and adding one last thing I agree with both uh, Robin and, and Shobai I think if you're especially actively looking for a new position besides job boards and company website, there are many other avenues as well for you to get noticed. It can be networking events. There's a lot of meetup events and there's career events as well where you can just post your resume and all of the, the companies that are part of that career fair can, can see your resume. So all of those avenues also add onto applying to the job board and applying to, to the company's website. One point that I do want to make here, you know, in terms of uh, where do you apply, right? Company, website, or do you apply on job boards? I feel as a recruiter, you know, if somebody refers a hiring manager or an internal employee has referred a candidate to me, um, I would definitely take a look at that resume. So referrals are extremely important and they're a big source of hire actually in, in, in corporations and organizations. So where you apply would also depend on whether of what, what company you're applying to or whether you know anybody that actually already works in that company and that can you know uh, provide a reference and that's a definitely a, a quick, good uh, quick way of uh, getting your foot into the door that has really helped for me as a recruiter sure sure so internal references are always yeah. welcome and they get priority or maybe they get more eyes than uh, somebody who's like uh, applying uh, through some other third-party job boards or some other uh, sources um when we are coming to uh, you talking about uh, applying through job boards or referrals and stuff, uh, there is a question which is actually dealing with the previous stuff that we have hacked to death, which is uh, a, a, like a fresher, like somebody who's just out of college. Uh, what what kind of uh, things that do you look for an entry level job on on that resume? How how does he get that edge? 
I do a lot of campus recruiting, and I think those are the best times for entry-level candidates to, to meet with companies and meet with recruiters and start connecting with people. I think that's the best bet for entry-level candidates is attend those campus recruiting events. Yeah, sure. and to add on to what Rosalind was just saying too, um, especially with the campus, that's why it's important to understand what kind of recruiter um, you're trying to engage with. Um, I, I often will get somebody that will message me on LinkedIn saying, hey, I'm interested in marketing. Can you help me get in with this job? That's not knowing your audience very well. Um, if you're trying to get into cybersecurity, I might be the right person. If you're an entry-level person, know the, the vertical you want to go into. And then number two, um, you are going to want to explore people that are campus recruiters, university recruiters, that type of thing. Um, they'll be able to give you the most resources, the most help. Usually they're the ones that are handling most of the entry level or internship level positions. Um, so again, know your recruiter and know how to engage with them. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, and um, there are like I have come across this uh, uh, Chrome extension called Glass Quid, which uh, like helps you suppose you are on a job board and you put in your resume and it just pulls up like everything that other and it'll like highlight stuff which says oh this education and this so there are like other things also which can help you like you know when you are trying to like look for a job because looking for a job becomes sometimes like a full-time job so you want to use technology automate things as much as possible when you are uh, conducting your search and uh, make sure that you know you uh, make use of tools which are available out there. Any other tools or anything that you guys have come across and maybe that'll help people? In some of the jobs board, you also have that option to save your search. And when a position similar to what you're looking for opens up, it just sends you directly a notification so I think that that would be also a good idea for, in terms of automation and making sure that you get the, the most updated job openings. Yeah, I would sure. agree with that. Same with the company sites, you can set alerts um, for when certain kinds of jobs open up. Uh, so if you wanna be the first, that's another important thing when you're applying um, is you wanna apply early. Um, the longer the job might be open, even though it's posted, um, they could be further along in the interview process. And they're not gonna close the job posting until somebody's been identified, selected, and they're probably gonna put out an offer. So the earlier you can get your resume in, uh, your application in, the better. Um, but yes, yeah, feel free to set up alerts on, on those company sites so you can be the first one to apply. And you're gonna come right to the top. I'm gonna see you right away uh, when you're the first one. Sure, that is very helpful. So, but do you want to add anything that uh, you find uh, particularly useful? You know, uh, just make sure, you know, technology is great and all that. I completely understand and agree, but um, there's only so much it can do when it comes to parsing of resumes. Uh, there's still, uh, you know, it, it, there's, there's scope for it to go wrong. The parsing does not happen. So just to not completely rely on it, um, I would um, definitely ask you to proof check and make sure that the resume is in there intact. Um, you know, sometimes ATSs um, do not allow you to uh, attach a resume, just fill out manually your, you know, your job details. 
um, and, and make sure when you're doing that, your uh, information is uh, correct. So when a recruiter wants to reach out to you, they have the contact information in place ready and handily available to be able to do that. So technology is great, I'm all for it, but also do some manual checks um, to see if uh, everything that you've entered is incorrectly. Sure, great. Uh, just one uh, tip that I would like to give is have a separate email account set up with a professional um, email address like your first name dot last name and uh, keep that separate for your job search things so that you know nothing goes like uh, lost in your uh, 50 emails that are coming from JCPenney or God knows where else. But uh, so, so that is something that, you know, um, I have been advising people just keep that thing separate so that, you know, whenever something comes up first, you know that you got to jump on it and, you know, reply to those or respond to those uh, uh, emails uh, in a priority uh, manner. Um, one sec. Now we are coming to. Okay. So job seekers, right? Active job seekers, like Shobha said, right? Like there are certain people who are active or some are passive. Some are like passive in the sense, that, you know, that if something good comes along, I've, I'm interested, but not. So what are some tips for passive job seekers? How do I get cybersecurity experience if I can't get a job and do networking, networking conferences and events help? Um, so let's go with the first thing, which is like, what are some tips for passive job seekers? Be findable. <laughs> that's that's always the key. Uh, so being on LinkedIn or having your presence out there. Um, if I can't find you, then I'll never be able to contact you. Um, I will say in the cybersecurity industry, a lot of the professionals that have experience don't want to be found. You know, they don't want to be contacted by recruiters all the time. Um, but you kind of do yourself a little bit disservice because you don't know. Maybe your next dream job could be you know, uh, sitting there in your inbox. Um, so be fine, uh, be findable, um, put yourself out there. There's all kinds of forums like Reddit, et cetera, GitHub, uh, where you can start sharing some of your work or just having open discussion and you'll actually network, um, with other professionals or recruiters, et cetera. Perfect. I, I know that some of the candidates that I work with that are in the government, realm, they are not allowed to have a LinkedIn profile. So if that's the case for you, my recommendation is to perhaps have a profile on a job board that is specifically for cleared <clears throat> positions. That, that would be just a little add-on, just making sure that that profile is accurate and up-to-date if you cannot have a LinkedIn profile. And Shoba? Um, excellent points, both of them, Robin, uh, Rosalind. I also want to say just not LinkedIn, you know, you tap into other social networks too, like um, Facebook. I mean, I know it's not really conventional method of looking for jobs, but uh, word of mouth, you know, it helps. Uh, Twitter, uh, you know, those uh, two platforms are also extremely helpful when it comes to just referrals and networking and seeing what else is out there and getting your presence felt. Um, user forums, uh, if you you know, specifically within cybersecurity, depending on the field you choose, there are so many user forums, um, Slacks, uh, um, you know, Reddit, uh, GitHub. You could, uh, you know, just put some, um, you know, some of your work in there. Uh, even if you're not looking, you'll definitely get some attention. And uh, like Rob said, you know, recruiters are constantly in need uh, of uh, 
uh, talent within the cybersecurity space. So just be findable and, uh, uh, you know, and, and LinkedIn has a very uh, useful tool that lets people or recruiters know that you're open um, to opportunities. So definitely, you know, click that um, icon, check that box and uh, let people know that you are, um, if you're not even active in looking, but you're open to opportunities and listening to what's uh, out there. Sure. And uh, also, one of the, yeah, go ahead. Follow influencers and interact with influencers in the industry. Someone like Nilufer, because uh, I could say firsthand that Nilufer has constantly sent me uh, resumes and people she's met at either a conference or a meetup or on LinkedIn. So um, that can go a long way. Not every candidate can be the right fit for every single thing. But as a recruiter, we definitely appreciate that. Um, I'm going to give that more of a closer look when it comes from somebody that I know and trust that the information I'm getting and I'm give it a little bit more uh, attention there. So uh, feel free to like interact with, with those influencers. Sure. Thank you so much, uh, Rob. Um, and, and suppose like somebody is like say passive, right? But, but the thing is, what would you advise? Because just now the, uh, the economy that we are in, the, 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 uh, times that we are in, would you advise people to at least look for a job either internally or externally and go and like uh, maybe uh, interview at, at different places, even if you are not like really looking for a job, uh, just to, you know, see what's out there, like whether your resume is good enough to get picked up and whether you can get a call for an interview or you would say, no, don't waste other people's time like that. I would say don't waste anybody's time. Be conscientious that... Um, nobody wants to go through the entire ringer of interview process at the end of the day when we want to put out an offer and you go, yeah, I'm not really interested. I'm not really looking. I want to stay where I'm at. It's like, <laughs> like, what am I supposed to do with that? How am I supposed to communicate back to the hiring manager that this was, you know, all sort of like, you know, a setup. Um, but it's fine if, if you're going to uh, interact with a recruiter uh, and tell them up front, like, Hey, just so you know, I'm really kind of not looking. So if you, you know, if you feel I should interview, uh, maybe I can take that interview, but just understand like uh, the right opportunity would have to come along for me to make a move right now. I appreciate the, you know, the communication. So uh, if you're a passive seeker, maybe just follow the job board, maybe just follow the company site, just so you can see kind of what's getting posted and what's out there um, and just kind of keep yourself, but to just to interview just because, um, you know, it's going to actually do you a disservice um, because you're going to spoil some relationships in, in, in that process. Sure, sure. But until you do that, you never know, right? What kind of opportunities you might find when you interview, you might find something which is really exciting that you want, even though you had gone into this process thinking that, okay, I'm not interested, but let me see what is out there. Because until you go through that process, you don't know, there might be some, some things that come up during the interview. You might say, okay, this, this is really a great thing for me. So I'm looking at it from both sides. Uh, so there I, agree, clear. I agree, you know, um, to, to your point, the refer. Um, you know, 70% of the workforce today is passive, you know, so they're not, and in, in my world, in the cybersecurity world, uh, the kind of positions I recruit for, majority of my hires have been people that um, I had to reach out to, they were not looking, um, and they were not interested in even engaging uh, with me, uh, you know, for interviews and things like that. I had to 
kind of coach them. I have to, I have wine and dine, if you will, um, and then let them know about the opportunity and get their interest. They were interested after I, in the initial conversation, they were interested in the opportunity. They wanted to know more. And then they took each step, one step at a time. And like I said, majority of my hires in the cybersecurity world have been uh, with candidates that were passive in their search. They were not looking, they surprised themselves They've come to me and said, oh, I didn't even know I was looking and now this is a great opportunity. And they you know, ended up taking the job. So there's nothing wrong in uh, exploring opportunities from a job seeker's point of view. Uh, um, and especially within security, because there's, you know, there's not very many people out there. So um, you know, just see what's out there, you know, reach out to people, reach out to recruiters, even if that's not a good fit, it would um, help in uh, knowing what's out there and maybe even um, adding some qualifications if you think those are uh, in demand. So I, I definitely feel that there is a, it's a win-win if you, if you are a passive job seeker and if you are interviewing uh, just to see what's, what's the opportunity all about. And let me Thank clarify you. too, that if a recruiter is reaching out to you, we have the expectation that you probably are passive because you didn't apply. That's a different situation than you just applying, not telling the recruiter that you are passive. If you are gonna be in the process, you just gotta be transparent and clear with what your, what your situation is. Um, if you don't tell me that you're not fully interested and I put you through, then it's you know, get blindsided at the end. At the beginning, you tell me like, hey, you know, I'm not really sure. I wanted to see what this is about. Um, I'm kind of happy where I'm at, but you know, I'm open to let the recruiter give you the insight of whether they think it's worth it um, to, you know, to pursue it down the line. Um, and like Shoba said, a lot of our hires do come from passive candidates but there is a, uh, a contextual concept there that, you know, we're going to communicate, be clear and transparent in our communication. Sure. And Rosalyn? My advice for passive candidate is, uh, I know we probably call you a lot, but there will be a, a day when you might be in the job market. So my advice is, just to you know, say to the recruiter, I'm not interested at this time, but I would love to keep in touch and do keep in touch or keep that email handy because even if you're not seeking for a new position right now, there might be a time when you will be looking for a new position. Things happen, changes happen. So just my advice for a passive job seeker is to, to start building those relationships. And if you do get that call, just, just be courteous and, and again, build that relationship. Thank you. And uh, one of the other questions is that if I do not have the job, how do I get experience? I'm sorry, what was the question? If, if, you, don't, if you don't have a job, how, how do you get the experience? Is that how do I get cyber experience if I can't get a job? A few different ways. Um, there's educational and diploma programs, uh, go to a college, get the training. Um, there's projects and stuff that you work on when you're in classes. Uh, go to third-party training sites, um, certifications, uh, going to events and conferences. Um, sometimes you can't afford it, so volunteer your time. And a lot of times you won't have to pay and you'll get still get the network every, with everybody. You'll be in the workshops. Um, so you're gonna pick up things as you go. Um, if you are already at a company, explore to see if there's any type of shadow programs. Maybe I can shadow that team for a few weeks to get a better sense of a day in the life of what they do. 
uh, and the next time they have a position that would fit somebody to, to transition, um, that hiring manager is going to be definitely way more receptive because they have a better understanding of who you are and what you're capable of. And they're going to love that you had taken that initiative. Um, if you're at a company, sometimes it's, they don't have a shadow program. That's fine. Reach out to a recruiter, reach out to hiring managers just to learn more and get information that way. Um, I said it before, you know, if you're at home, have you built a PC on your own? Have you built a lab, a home lab? Have you experimented with certain tools that are free and access? Uh, just saying, oh, I couldn't get a job and you didn't do anything to better yourself in the process. Um, it's probably not the best thing. You're not going to add the most value to yourself. So do something. Um, also, if you are entry level, and especially right now during COVID, I imagine a lot of companies are going to struggle to have a lot of internships available for this summer and possibly next summer. Um, there's a lot of small and mid-sized companies that are out there where, um, you know, maybe they'll, they'll sign off on and give you credits uh, or maybe it's free. Don't be too afraid. I don't want to say that's what you want to lead with, but um, wherever you can get experience is going to provide a lot of value in your career later on. And sometimes experience may not be exactly in the space that you want it to be. So if you want to get into cybersecurity and you absolutely cannot find a internship in cybersecurity, but maybe there's one in IT, that could provide value to you. Weigh your options, understand what's being presented in front of you and explore. Don't be afraid to, you know, uh, to, to go look in a slightly different direction. Also, if you're entry level, um, the one thing I always hear is they have, they're unsure of what part of security they want to be in because there's so many different kinds. You can go into a risk management you can go into incident response and forensics. You can go more into your, like your architecture and engineering uh, with infrastructure. Have a somewhat idea of kind of what you want to do. Maybe you want to be in programming more on the cybersecurity side. Understand what the different um, career pathways are. Um, and that might also help guide you into uh, a better internship or entry-level position or transition. Thank you so much. And... Uh... Now we are coming to interviewing and salary negotiation. So uh, how long is the interview process? What are some interviewing tips? Uh, different kinds of interviews using the phones, phone screen, video in person, and what are the differences and how do I negotiate a better, better salary for myself? Uh, Shobha, do you want to go first? Sure. Um, how long is the interview process? It depends. Um, I guess these days, post-COVID times, uh, people are going to, you know, not resort to in-person interviews. It's going to be more of phone interviews and video interviews. Um, so depending on the type of position you're applying, um, it could be a phone interview, first round. It could be multiple tiers, phone interviews. There could be an assessment, like an online assessment that you need to be taking. Uh, there could be a case study discussion. There could be a panel interview. Um, and then um, if, if it's business as usual and you are called for an on-site interview, then that's one of the steps also. So it could be a long drawn out process uh, depending on the type of position, especially for senior level positions, executive leadership level positions. Uh, there will be multiple rounds of interviews and everybody needs to be in consensus uh, and, uh, and before making a decision. For entry level positions, it could be you know, a little faster uh, depending on how you do the initial phone interview and then the on-site interview or the technical assessment. Um, so it really depends on the kind of position that you're applying um, for. Thanks, and uh, Rosalind. 
I agree with Shobai. It's going to depend on the position, but also on the company because each company has their own process. But uh, typically the process, you start talking with a recruiter and then with one of the hiring managers over the phone and then the in-person interview. So there's usually one of those stages, but my advice would be just ask the recruiter or the hiring manager what the process is and they will tell you because that will be catered to their company and their specific process. And, uh, and just yeah, to add ahead. on too, the process, it really could be different even with inside a company because it depends on where, what stage of the interview process they are with all their candidates um, for a single job. Um, if you were the first one to apply and get an interview, they're gonna wanna have other interviews to compare against. So understand that like, if you know you applied and got a call right away and you got put into the interview process, that interview process might be long. That could be like a, you know, four to six weeks. Um, and don't be insulted or take it personally. It's, they need to do their due diligence and it takes a while for candidates to apply, recruiters to do their interviews, the schedule, et cetera. So it can go long. Now, sometimes you can get involved with it and they're later in the process and bing, bang, boom, you come in and you have an offer in, in a week. Um, so it really depends on the stage uh, of their interviewing. And like Rosalind said, communicate with the recruiter or the hiring manager, you know, what to expect. Um, usually we're, we'll, you know, we'd be, we're very transparent in that sense. If you don't hear back from a recruiter in the interview process, understand their workload and they probably also haven't heard any feedback from the hiring manager. Um, when I have information or when I have news, I'm excited to tell you, um, if it's bad news, uh, you know, that's a little harder to pass on, but, um, it, once you're having an experienced recruiter working with you, we're, we're at least accustomed or used to doing that at this point. So it really can, you know, depend on each, each scenario. Sure. There are two questions. One is from Zoli and she says that, uh, what about re relocation packages? Are they usually offered? And another one is from Apur, and uh, he is saying that uh, is it difficult to switch jobs between geographical markets? So I don't what was know. The second if question? This... Excuse me. What was the second question? Second question is: Is it difficult to get like uh, between geographical markets? Now, suppose maybe from the east coast to the west coast, or something of mm -hmm. that sort. That's what I'm assuming because there's not much information. I hope it's not like from say uh, around the globe where you will have some kind of like restrictions or visa related or something. But uh, just take it as if it is within the country and between different uh, locations. So I feel relocation, just to uh, address your first question about relocation expenses and package, it really depends on the company um, and, and what their policy is towards uh, relocation assistance. Uh, and also depends on the level of the position. Uh, if it is an entry level role, or if it's a senior level position, usually senior level positions do offer relocation packages. It depends on company to company. Um, and you know the packages uh, in itself may depend uh, from one band to another band. So um, there's a lot of uh, uh, variables in that. Um, and one other thing, you know, companies are getting uh, creative about uh, relocation packages too. If they're not able to um, offer a package, what they sometimes do is offer a sign-on bonus um, to the candidate and uh, 
they ask the candidates to utilize a sign-on bonus in whichever way they want. They can utilize it towards the relocation expenses. So that's one way to address if they don't have a relocation a formal package in place, then they may offer other um, incentives like sign-on bonuses um, uh, to help offset uh, the expense with relocation. Sure, thanks. Um, and there is a question, uh, is there a standard salary calculated for cybersecurity job interconnected with experience, which I, I don't think it is, but I want your, uh, Rob, why don't they jump in and tell us? So, so the question is that suppose, is it like, oh, if you've got five years experience, then you get so much or how, how does that work? So, I mean, it's a tricky question, but yeah, go ahead. So I, I apologize up front because a lot of these questions are dependent on the individual scenario. So some companies, smaller companies, usually um, won't, won't have the same type of uh, strict framework for calculating a salary offer. Um, usually the larger company you go to, the more regulated that, that industry is, um, the more constraints are going to be specifically on how an offer is calculated. Um, I can tell you at most large size companies that there is some type of like formula based on your experience level. So, you know, if you got three years experience and you're looking for, let's say $150,000, um, some smaller companies, you might be that, that, that person, uh, that guy or gal that they're willing to do that for. Um, at a larger company, they're gonna have more constraints, you know, being able to kind of roll out the, uh, the piggy bank um, for it. So usually there is some type of um, calculation there that considers your years experience. Um, or, you know, factors in other things besides experience. Uh, could be your educational or certification. It really depends on the company though. So everybody kind of calculates it a little bit differently. Sure. And uh, let's start with you. What about interview tips? What would you, um, what kind of interview tips would you give somebody who's trying to get, uh, transition or get a job in cybersecurity? Uh, first thing is environmental um, in terms of my tips. Uh, if you're taking a phone interview or you're doing a web uh, video interview, um, if, if it's phone, make sure you're in a, a quiet area. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've done interviews where the candidate is outside of New York City with the wind blowing, the, the you know police driving by and the hustle and bustle of the city. Uh, that's probably not appropriate for a formal interview uh, over the phone or even video. Um, you want to try to go in some place that's a quiet, um, secluded, um, that's, you know, at least appears professional. Um, if you're doing video, I, I don't necessarily expect you to have to have a suit on or anything, but look presentable in the sense of, you know, maybe you want to have a, a dress shirt on or you, you kind of have to use a little bit of common sense with that. Um, although I'm not judging you based on how you dress, um, I'm judging you on the sense of, are you presenting yourself? presentable? Uh, and do you fit in with our culture in the sense of, you know, if I, if I work at a company and everybody wears a suit and you come in a t-shirt, you know, that's going to set you up differently. Um, so kind of know your audience a little bit with that. Sure. Thanks. And Shoba? Yeah. To add to what um, Rob said about, um, you know, um, tips on interviewing, um, you also need to be rehearsed, but not to an extent that, you know, you 
I'm not um, showing you a, a personality. Uh, practice your question. There are some questions that are definitely asked in interviews. Uh, the dreaded, tell me about yourself question. It's always asked. So, uh, and it, it's, although it's a dreaded question, it's a great opportunity for you to be able to um, showcase your ability to answer um, an unstructured question like that. So, uh, you know, that was one question that's asked and other questions could be, uh, what are your strengths and weaknesses? Uh, why do you think we should hire you? Um, you know, these are some of the questions that are usually asked in interviews. So prepare ahead of time, uh, know what the questions could be and just, um, you know, rehearse your answers. So, uh, and don't sound too scripted while you're answering those. Um, and also to make eye contact. Um, and if it's a video interview, uh, it's a little scary to speak to the camera um, and you don't know where to look sometimes. Um, so one tip that's helped me uh, is, you know, I put a small little sticky tape next to the, the lens uh, where the camera is located on my laptop. So I know where to look at. So I, I'm, not, I'm not distracted. I'm not looking anywhere else. I know where to exactly look at. So that tip has definitely helped uh, for myself, you know, personally, when um, I'm talking to the camera. Um, and, um, um, you know, be, be able to answer tough questions, uh, you know, about uh, why do you think we should hire you, you know, and, and have your answers ready uh, and let them know, let the recruiters know, let the hiring managers know that you're definitely interested in what kind of a value you can bring into the table. Um, so get those answers ready and, uh, you know, there, there's no stopping you then. Sure. And Rosalind, do you want to add in? Just do your due diligence as well. Research the company, ask who will be on the interview, who will be interviewing me, take a look at their LinkedIn profile. Again, do your due diligence, get to know them. That will help you answer the question, why do you wanna work for us? Or why should we select you? Getting to know their goals, their mission, and perhaps having that research next to you, especially if you're on a phone interview, even if it's a video interview, you can bring your a notebook and take notes and have your notes ready. So that would be my, my advice. Do your due diligence as well. Sure, thanks. And so, uh, and Ros Rosalind are spot on exactly with what they said. Make sure you're prepared. Um, know the job description that you applied for because those questions are probably gonna be on there if there's a technical interview. Um, specifically for entry level or transitioning candidates, um, it's gonna be really important to familiarize. You may not have the experience yet, but just saying, no, I don't know what that is, or no, I haven't done it, it's not always the best way to convey um, that kind of messaging in an interview. So if it was me and I was gonna be applying for an incident response role and I had, have no experience in that, I'm gonna to wanna to do a little bit of research of what some of the, the, the terminologies that they use, maybe the acronyms. <clears throat> do I know what an APT is? Um, stuff, stuff like that to kind of familiarize. Now you could say, oh, I, you know, I haven't worked on that, but I have an understanding. I understand the concept of what that is. Or I've used this tool, which is very similar to this tool that you're talking about. And you talk about what you do now. You can say, I haven't worked with it, but here's what I have done. I'll just share an experience that uh, I had during my interview and uh, they went through my resume and said, oh yeah, I see you've got like experience with microwave. And I had no experience with microwave. It was not on my resume. So I just said, um, the only thing I know about microwave is that you put the 
popcorn in and within two minutes you take it out <laughs> and everybody started laughing you know but then she said oh no I was I wanted to see if you would you know BS your way through and I said no that's not going to be me so you know if you just be upfront like don't try to like uh, say things that are not true or you know just try to like uh, emblemish things which are not uh, uh, right, exactly. Be, be truthful to who you are, because that's who they're going to hire at the end of the day. So if they hire you thinking you know how to do something and you come and you can't, you're going to get exposed pretty quickly. Uh, what about like interview coaching? Uh, because uh, I was talking to our previous CISO and what she said was that money spent on the like specialized training, mock interviews or whatever on which way, which will like paid on like for preparing for an interview will bear unproportional uh, like disproportionate results because that is one of the skills that as a professional you might be really good with what you do however if you cannot convey that in a professional manner in a very polished way uh, when you are in an interview setting uh, you probably won't get that job so you might be the best candidate however if you cannot convey it then probably you are not going to be qualified for that job or maybe they won't. So what is your uh, um, response? Or what do you th think about like um, commercial coaching available for interviews, et cetera? First thing I'll tell you is practice makes perfect. So whether practicing on your own with your family, um, with friends, uh, and then number two, interviewing, you know, at more than, you know, one company or for more than one job, Getting that experience going through the interview process um, can be really helpful because then the more you interview, you start going, oh, you know, I, I've noticed when I say this, I'm getting this type of reaction. Um, and you'll get more comfortable with your answers and more familiarized with your background and experience level. And if it's the similar type of positions that you keep interviewing for, you'll get more accustomed to the types of questions. So nothing trumps the experience and practice uh, of interviewing. Sure. And uh, Shoba. Coaching definitely helps, you know, um, I coach my candidates all the time. There are, you know, there could be different types of coaching. Um, there's coaching on technical skills, which I, I, I don't do to my candidates. It's more on the soft skill side uh, and which is equally important, I feel, you know, um, because I know the hiring managers that are hiring for this role. I know their personalities. I know what works, what will not work. So it definitely helps uh, if the candidates are aware um, going into an interview, what kind of uh, uh, soft skills they need to possess to be able to make a good impression. So um, that kind of coaching helps uh, to be able to understand what the hierarchy is when you're, when you're in an interview, the titles of the people that you are interviewing with, if there's a panel interview, who reports to whom and who is the ultimate authority in making the decision to be able to um, have that kind of information is definitely a big plus for the candidates. So uh, coaching in those aspects is definitely a big plus just to make sure that your soft skills and your personality comes out uh, and you're able to, you know, give uh, what's actually required for that role in terms of do they need somebody who can think on their feet? And, you know, if they do, you know, they, that's the kind of uh, that the team that's hiring, that's the kind of skill sets they're looking for that, um, you know, me as a recruiter would tell my candidate to give some uh, examples on, uh, you know, work that they've done that has made them, you know, think on their feet and uh, take leadership on a certain project maybe. So uh, coaching on soft skills is something that I do all the time with all my candidates. Thank you so much. And Rosalind. 
interview prepping is definitely, I feel extremely important. And again, it goes back to doing your due diligence and doing the research and getting to know the company, getting to know the people that you're gonna be interviewing with and absolutely practice. The job description and the resume are gonna be the tools where the, the questions are gonna stem from your resume or the job description. So having those handy and getting ready for the potential questions that are, are gonna come up. Uh, the behavioral side is absolutely, behavioral questions are important, but in cybersecurity also, we're trying to gauge your technical skills. So the more in depth your answer, the better. Again, that's the only way we know what your skills are if you tell us about it. So definitely interview prepping, interview coaching uh, is a must for me. Sure, thanks. And now coming up, uh, Rob, I'll start with you. Uh, what uh, salary negotiation tips do you have for candidates and uh, how do they negotiate a good salary for themselves? And Let's what's the right way of doing question. it? What's the right way of doing it? All right. So this is tricky. This is like navigating a minefield. Um, salary negotiation is tough and I don't want to give away too many secrets, but um, <laughs> there, it really depends on the scenario, uh, the job you're interviewing for, your experience level, because, you know, in some aspects, there may not be room to really negotiate from the, on the company or the recruiter side. Um, you know, the, the offer is what it is. That can be in certain scenarios. Um, for yourself is at the beginning, when you start your conversation with the recruiter, I always fall back on being transparent and communicative. Let me know what your situation is. Let me know the things that you're going to need at the end of the day. Um, so at the, when, when it comes down to the salary uh, or package, whatever else you're going to be asking for, um, then I know that up front because it gives, gives us recruiters time to start trying building a case um, preparing, can I do this? Can I not do that? Um, a lot of times I don't even know what we can offer until we get to the end. There we, um, like a lot of large companies, we have a, a compensation department that actually calculates and formulates that. So I'm not the one negotiating as if it, like I'm the gatekeeper of the money. Um, you know, there's a team that does that so that there's no bias and that they're doing fair uh, offers. <clears throat> but if you're communicating up front and Clearly with the recruiter, we can at least give you our insights uh, <clears throat> about you know, what to expect um, in terms of a range or what we can offer, uh, but try to do it at the beginning. When you surprise us at the end, it makes it really tough to you know, jump through it at the end. So if you tell me I need 150 when I first talked to you two weeks ago, and now we're coming to the offer and you're like, I need 180, I I'm dead in water. I I'm not gonna be able to go get you 180 just because you asked for it. Um, I'm trying to set those expectations and understand what you need in the beginning. So all these uh, specialized books and all these training courses and everywhere, they tell you, oh, never talk about money first. Uh, and what you're saying is that at least find out what the range is and so that it gives you a little place to work on, right? And if it is totally like not a match, maybe you can be upfront and save each other's time. Is that correct? It's a little bit, <clears throat> it's a little bit of a game of chess. Um, you know, who's going to say the number first. Um, I, I, I can tell you with myself, I can't speak for everybody, every company, but for myself, I am, I don't care about you knowing um, the range 
um, I'm kind of looking at your, your, your experience level and I'm using my experience at that company to see what we've done in the past to kind of give me, a, you know, some kind of idea of what probably we could do. Um, so if I think the salary range is 120 to 130 uh, and maybe you're looking for 140, if I say that number, don't just shoot me down right away. These tell me, all right, well, I'm looking for 140. And I'll tell you if I think I might be able to potentially get to that spot. Um, or maybe we have to be creative. Maybe there's a sign-on bonus. Maybe there's whatever it could be. There, there's so many other things besides just the dollar amount of the salary that we can at least talk about. You know, Maybe at your company right now, you have to drive an hour and a half every day to work. Um, but my company might have some remote options for you where you're only doing that once a week or twice a week, whatever it might be. And that can provide a lot of extra value, especially financially. If you're not driving an hour and a half each way, that's a lot of time you, you get back at your family. I'm noticing with COVID working from home and not having that commute, how much extra time I have to do other things. So um, there is a value to that. Sure. And Rosalind, do you want to add anything? My recommendation in terms of salary negotiation is transparency. There is no way for me to know what you've earned in the past, what you're currently earning, what you want, what you need. So in order for me to help you is getting to know you. So transparency would be the best. Uh, that's the only way I can recommend the salary that you want or that you need. Sure, and Shoba. So for me, um, I want my candidate to make it clear to me that they really want the job, right? Um, as a recruiter, um, I don't want to expand my political or my social capital in my company by asking for a very strong offer. It's not in my hands. I'm going to a compensation uh, you know, department or whoever it is that's making those decisions, I'm going to them and asking for a strong offer. And I, if I'm able to get them the offer that they're looking for, I want to be able to, for them to say yes. So I don't want to expand uh, all of my social and my political capital on candidates if they're not even letting me know that if I get them what they're looking for, they're going to say yes or no. If I'm not sure, I'm not going to be interested in uh, negotiating with them. That's one. And one of my other pet peeves when it comes to salary and that I would like to be offered as an advice or a tip to candidates is that if, so there, there are multiple parts in a compensation package. Um, there's um, your base salary, and then there's your um, you know, sign-on bonus. There's your, it could be, you know, pick, you know vacation time. Um, and what, what a company is offering to a candidate if, if a candidate is not okay with multiple parts of that offer, it's best to let the recruiter know right away instead of going at it serially one after the other. If I'm able to get them an increase in base pay, thinking that they're gonna say yes to the salary and then they come back to me later and say, oh, by the way, uh, thank you for giving me that raise in base salary. I also now want two more extra weeks of vacation. So that's my pet peeve. Like Rosalind and Rob said, just be transparent. Uh, let your recruiters know uh, that this is all we're looking for. You know, these are the things and in order of importance too. You know, my salary is number one. It could be your sign-on bonus number two. It could be vacation time number three. So be transparent. Let, um, let your recruiters 
know what it is that you're looking for so that they're able to um, advocate for you because they also want recruiters, you know, I want my positions to be filled also. So, um, you know, if uh, that's one of, you know, very strong tip that I would like to give to a candidate, just be transparent and uh, be honest in your communication with recruiters. Understand who the recruiter is because especially in, when we're at a corporation, um, we're, we're like sales professionals, okay? So in the beginning stages, when I'm presenting your resume to the hiring manager, I'm selling your background and information to get you that interview. You may not realize this, but there is that transactional communication with the hiring manager. We're saying, well, here's why this person is qualified. A lot of times the hiring manager will come back to us and be like, yeah, I, I don't know if I see it on the resume. It's like, no, here's what I, I in our interview, what we, what we uncovered and why they can provide value to you. So we're selling at that part. Then at the end, when we're trying to get you uh, the salary you want or, or the package that you want, we are trying to do this on your behalf. So when you blindside us, if we get you the numbers and everything, it looks good. And then now you send me back to get something else that you didn't prepare me for. I'm less motivated to give you my A effort to go get that. It's just human nature. I want to still get you. I want to, I want to um, fill the job as soon as possible. But the more hoops you Put us through without expecting it the less you're going to get from us uh in terms of our our, our best effort um so the more we know up front I'm, I'm totally okay with going to bat for you to get you what everything you can you may not get it but like i'll, I'll go to bat for you it's when you know when you're kind of dishonest with me you know i, I it, it makes it a lot more tougher for me to go get that and then i've got to sell that information and uh when you come with an offer for me. If I don't negotiate with you, am I leaving money on the table? Know what, know what your salary requirements are. You know what you need to survive. Don't worry about, you know, I heard my friend was making this because I'll tell you one thing, your friends and colleagues, whatever salary they told you that they're getting, subtract 10,000 from it. <laughs> That's the general rule of thumb. Um, so, so don't pay too much attention. Know what you need and what you want. And that's what you work for. Now, sometimes you might have to sacrifice something. Uh, and, and if that's a non-starter for you, then that's a non-starter for you. But having the understanding and flexibility that, okay, well, I want a 150, they offer me 145, but instead they also gave me X, Y, Z uh, in terms of extra time off or more time at home or um, I, hey, by the way, their 401k is amazing, or they're giving me tuition assistance and I'm going back to school and that helps. Y'all look at the, the big picture, the whole thing. It's not always just the dollar and cents of the base salary. There's so much more yearly salary. What does that look like? How does that get paid out? Um, is there any stock incentives? Like all those kind of things can really add up. And, um, you know, if you take a job at XY, uh, ABC company, and they're offering you 150 and then another company's offering you 145 but that 145 they also have all these extra benefits that you're not calculating you'll do yourself a disservice sure thank you so much all three of you for answering all these difficult questions extremely yeah. candidly and in in the best way you know to uh, now we are coming to uh, clearances so one sec let me just uh, share my screen okay so going to talk about clearances, right? Uh, clearances are required even for
private jobs as well as like government jobs uh, because there are contractors who work for the government. So what are the security clearances, different types? How do I get a clearance and what is the process to get a clearance? Uh, let's start with Rosalind on this. A security clearance is pretty much a determination by the United States government that a company or a person is eligible to access classified information. Um, so that's pretty much the, the high level meaning of a, a security clearance. Now, can you obtain your security clearance on your own? Usually not, no, you, you can't. So you must be sponsored by a cleared contractor company or by, by a government agency. And that's how you get your security clearance. Another question that I get a lot is, can non-US citizen obtain a security clearance? Uh, the quick answer is no. You usually have to be a US citizen to be able to have a security clearance. And you can be a born US citizen or a naturalized US citizen. Um, but basically that's, that's the high level overview of a security clearance. And how do I get a clearance? You said that uh, you have to work for somebody who has... Uh... Correct, yes. Someone, a company or a government agency has to sponsor the candidate to get a security clearance. And I would say, I believe over 80% of the clearances are sponsored or are given by DOD, the Department of Defense, but other government agencies and contractor uh, companies can, can also sponsor a candidate. And okay. there's the main, the, the main level of clearances is confidential, secret, and top secret clearance. And what is that uh, SCI, like uh, SIC? Yes, yeah, so again, this is gonna be a very high level overview of clearances. Those are even more, um, more classified information and you have to go through a more background, uh, more thorough investigation to have access to the, the SCI part of the clearance. Sure, thanks. Uh, I have this question for Rob. Uh, Rob, somebody is working in a, you know, like a private industry and they are interested in some job requ requires security clearance. Is it possible for them to get that job? Uh, because uh, like what she said, right? Like clearances take time. And if I am like working for somebody and somebody else is doing my background check, et cetera, right? At that point, um, what are the difficulties that, because they might like approach my, my uh, employer or something and which is like a dead giveaway, you know, saying, oh, she's looking for something over there. And uh, how, how do people negotiate through all that? No, uh, that's tough because it um, depends on where you're going through. Um, if you are going through like a large company, uh, let's, I'm gonna use Verizon as an example. Uh, we do do work for the government in certain capac uh, capacities. Um, that might be slightly different than maybe if you're applying for like Booz Allen or et cetera. Um, so the process could be a little bit different. Understand how long those background investigations can last. Um, I've heard, you know, six months up to 12 months. So, you know, it could be lengthy, especially in times like COVID right now. I'm sure a lot of the agencies are backed up. It could be more at the longer side. Depends on the level you're going for. 
So if you're going to top secret with an SCI and you're doing a full um, polygraph assessment, uh, that those will possibly take a lot longer. Um, some companies may hire you um, while that process is going. So you'll get a conditional start where you'll start with the company. And if the background check does not pass, you may um, be let go for that reason. Um, some companies won't hire you until you complete the entire background. And again, it could take six months to 12 months. So um, it can be difficult there. Usually uh, it's not like your, your hiring manager, uh, the, the, your supervisor that you work for, just because you're going through the process is going to know about it. He's, he's, he or she may not get any, uh, they won't know anything about what you're doing in that sense. So that should be safe. Ros uh, Rosalind might be able to give me a better, give you better insight about that, but I haven't seen that before. I agree a hundred percent in terms of clearances or especially when you're moving from one company to another, patience is gonna be your number one must have. Uh, we as a company or recruiters, we have no control over clearance or reciprocation or, or badging. So making sure that you are in touch with your recruiter or your FSO, your facility security officer to know the steps. Uh, for instance, equip. As soon as you get that email, just make sure to fill it out because the quicker you fill it out, the quicker we can get you onboarded. Um, so again, it, it's a very lengthy process. Just be patient, we'll get there. Just stay in touch and, and know that we're working really hard on, on getting you uh, that badging, for instance. Sure. You should also know that it's it's tough for any one of us sitting here to give you the full, you know, factual of what goes into the clearance and will you pass, will you not pass? Because it's not our, us or a company that's a, giving you that clearance. Um, it's the, when the government looks into your background, something may come up. Um, we'll call it a red flag, but you might still get the clearance. And some people, they may not. They're looking at the big picture. They're looking at the risk level um, that you're, you're coming. So, you know, the recruiter, the hiring manager, the company may not have the full information on whether or not certain things will make you pass or not pass. They can kind of give you a generality, but uh, understand that that's completely out of our hands, um, including the timing of that. Sure, thanks. And then um, you could be like at a lower level, cleared at a lower level, and then after like working for a couple of years, maybe, you know, they might bump up your, so that could also uh, like work like that. Uh, Rosalind, what do you think? It's true, yes. Yeah. So we have sponsored candidates. So you weren't necessarily, you started working with us, you weren't cleared at that time. Uh, you're interested in a specific project, but that project requires a secret clearance. Yes, we have sponsored uh, candidates in the past. And you do bring up a good point is that in order for you to keep your clearance, your project must require a clearance. So for instance, if your, your project requires a top secret clearance, um, then you can keep your, your top secret clearance. But if you move to a different position that does not require a top secret clearance, you might lose your clearance. Again, you in order to keep your clearance, you have to work in a project that requires that specific clearance. And 
and again, I can go a little bit more in depth, but I want to keep it high level because I can go on and on and J-pass and reinvestigation. But but long story short, to keep your clearance, just uh, make sure that the project that you are on requires that specific clearance. Sure. I think we will do like uh, uh, another talk specifically on clear clearances and clear jobs and stuff. And maybe, you know, at that point, I'll probably... Uh, <laughs> invite uh, somebody else also and like yeah rob and we can you know probably go into details if, if that's something um that you want i think we've there are no no questions and uh, we have come to the end of our uh, live stream uh, thank you so much thank you so much for uh, joining us today i am extremely extremely uh, thankful because uh, there have been a lot of questions which have come in and uh, you have answered a lot. It's, it's really helpful. There is a lot of other people who have said thank you to you online. But uh, next week we are going to talk about uh, how to leverage your existing skills. So I did not want to make this like a clickbait how to get a cybersecurity job with no experience because that's just not possible when people tell you. It's just like clickbait, right? So if you do not have experience, you do not have any certifications, you do not have any education, I don't think that it's going to happen. However, there are two people I've, I'm going to bring to our talk next week who have leveraged whatever existing skills they had and they communicated it in a way that they, that landed them cybersecurity jobs and they are doing extremely well. So we can all learn from how they did it. So uh, just join me next week, 10 o'clock, same place. And uh, thank you so much today. I'm just ending the live stream. Great. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks.